Hey, good morning, y'all. So glad you're here. Uh, also so glad I'm not hosting this morning because old dad up here gets all in the feels. Um, proud of my boy. But my name is Andrew. So glad that you decided to worship with us today. Uh, we are in the series called Acts, the church on the move. We're in week number eight of this series. We're trying to track the movement of the gospel as it goes out from uh, Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So I kind of nerded out yesterday. There's a tool, uh, a Bible tool that I discovered yesterday for the first time ever. How many of you all have ever used like the maps in the back of your Bible? Anybody ever looked at them? That's probably what I expected, you know, like very few of us. And I've never cared about maps in the back of my Bible. Uh, The book of Acts is actually, though, a great place to use those because uh, they apply to, to the text that we're looking at. But there's a website I want to direct you to. It's called biblemapper.com slash passage browser, and that link is in the digital bulletin and sermon notes. Uh, So let me explain this to you. So whatever passage you're in for like, for instance, this morning, Acts 10, you can go in there, type in Acts 10, and it'll pull up maps uh, that correspond to that passage, that particular passage of scripture that you're in. So if you're a nerd like me and want to kind of nerd out a little, if it helps you learn to see kind of the, literally the lay of the land, um, this is a good tool for you. But if you remember in Acts 1.8, it talks about the, uh, Jesus said, hey, wait here in Jerusalem. So if you, if you can see on the screen, there's like a circled, uh, that's Jerusalem there. It's, and Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then to Judea, uh, which is just south of Jerusalem, and then all Samaria, which is uh, to the north there, and then he says, and to the ends of the earth. And so I think it's kind of cool to be able to to see that. Like, what does this look like when Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses here, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then as we get into the book of Acts, I have one more a map reference today that I'll, I'll turn you on to, but uh, as we see Paul makes these missionary journeys throughout uh, Asia, um, man, you'll get to see where he's, where he's moving. So just wanted to nerd out with you all a little bit this morning, but, but the spread of this gospel message is so significant because really what John said, we believe the gospel, it's all about the gospel. The gospel changes everything. Gospel literally means good news. And, and, and what the good news is for us is that we can receive the forgiveness of our sins. We can be made new. We can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. And we believe this message changes everything. And so um, this message was advancing from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Now, When we talk about your Bible, um, the central character of the story of God, which is the story from the creation of the world until the end, uh, the central character in the Bible is, who who do you think is the central character? Jesus, it's God, right? It's all about God. But there is a people group that's very central, a central player in the story. It is the people of God. It's the nation of Israel. It's the Jewish people. They play a very central role throughout the scriptures. Uh, In the first century, okay, when we come to the book of Acts in this first century, um, there are biblically two uh, kind of people groups that the Bible kind of narrows it down to. Jews and Gentiles, all right? Jews, God's people, and Gentiles, which is everybody else. Uh, And and when you come to this first century, uh, the the prevailing Jewish thought was was this. And I'll make sure you catch this. In the minds of Jewish people in the first century, their prevailing thought was that God loves Jews and he hates Gentiles. God loves Jews, his people, but he hates Gentiles. That was the the main mindset of, of many Jewish people. Now, there's a couple different phrases we could call that in 2023. 
for God loves this people group, hates this people group. Think of some terms that we would use today. One would be uh, discrimination, right? Uh, one would be racism. Uh, and, and these are some of the prevailing thoughts of really many of God's people, even in the first century. Let, let me read you a, a couple quotes by a, a, a commentary uh, by David Guzik. He, he says this. This will help you understand how discriminatory many of the Jewish people were then. A Jewish man would begin every day with a prayer thanking God that he was not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Like, whoa, that's like straight up discrimination, right? God, thank you that I'm not a woman. Thank you that I'm not a Gentile. A basic part of the Jewish religion in the days of the New Testament was an oath that promised that one would never help a Gentile under any circumstances, such as giving directions if they were asked. All right, so discrimination. Here's another quote. If a Jew married a Gentile, the Jewish community would have a funeral for the Jew and consider them dead. It was thought that, that to even enter the house of a Gentile made a Jew unclean before God. Well, like, so if you're Jewish and your child marries a Gentile, it's like, you're dead to me, right? Um, this was extreme prejudice um, of the Jewish people. And so last week, what we saw in Acts chapter 9, we saw the story of Saul of Tarsus who uh, was pursuing and uh, trying to eradicate Christians, and yet God ch changed his life. He did a 180. He met him on the road to Damascus. And what we learned last week is that God's grace can reach even the vilest of sinners. There's no one that is beyond God's reach. And what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 10 is that this gospel that changes everything, it's, it's for the nation. It's for the nations. God's grace extends to every people group without distinction, not only to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. The gospel that changes everything is available to everyone. This is really the big idea that we see in, in Acts chapter 10. The gospel that changes everything is available to everyone. And this is a really radical concept when you talk to a first century Jew, that this gospel was available to everyone. So today's sermon is called, Even on the Gentiles. Even on the Gentiles. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 10. Actually, this story, uh, and I'll invite you, if you've got a Bible uh, or your Bible app, uh, go with me. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Uh, this is actually the longest narrative in the book of, of Acts. Um, a lot of stuff going on here. It goes from Acts chapter 10 all the way to Acts chapter 11, verse 18. We're going to pick up bits and pieces. Uh, if you are doing our Bible reading plan with us, um, you'll be in Acts chapter 10. You'll read through that tomorrow. Um, but Acts chapter 10, um, we see the story of a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius, the conversion of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. Um, and really, this, this is the story about how the gospel gets to the Gentiles, how the gospel gets to, to us. And I just want to remind you as we're jumping in this morning, this book of Acts, because, man, when you read through the book of Acts, so much incredible stuff, um, a, a lot of different stuff going on. Um, and so sometimes we can lose our bearings with what's happening here because it doesn't always match up with how life is in 2023. So I just want to remind you that the book of Acts is a transitional book of the Bible. We're transitioning from 
Old Testament, um, Old Covenant to this New Testament, New Covenant. There's a lot of transition taking place. Let me, let me give you an example of some of the things I mean. So in this passage, we'll see in Acts 10, we've seen it one other time. We see it three times in total in the book of Acts. People speaking in tongues. All right, three times in the book of Acts. And we see people coming to Christ, receiving you know, Jesus, they put their faith in Christ, and they begin to speak in tongues. But then, in many, many other occasions throughout the book of Acts, people come to faith in Christ, but they don't speak in tongues. All right, so it's, it's, it's not always consistent. Things, it's, it's a descriptive book. It's not a prescriptive book. Uh, let me give you another example. We'll see it in Acts chapter 10. Sometimes individuals uh, hear the audible voice of God. They see a vision from God. And then many other times, people don't hear uh, the voice of God or see a vision from God. And so it's descriptive. It's a historical account of what God was doing in this period of time. However, there is one thing that is always consistent throughout the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament is that the way people come to salvation, it's always because the gospel is preached, Jesus is preached, and people respond with repentance and faith every single time. It's always consistent. It's not people come to Christ different ways. It's always they hear the gospel. They respond by putting their faith in Jesus. So as we jump into chapter 10, uh, let me just kind of take a moment to set the context. Acts chapter 9, we left off in the middle of it last week after Saul um, is converted. He comes to Christ. And then the, the book of Acts chapter 9 ends with two major miracles. So Peter, the apostle, comes back on the scene. He, uh, what does he do? He heals a person. He heals a man. And then he raises a woman from the dead. Her name was Dorcas. And I really wanted to spend a whole week preaching on Dorcas because I wanted to see how many times I could just say the name Dorcas. I think it's incredible. Um, Dorcas from the dead. So he raises Dorcas from the dead. Uh, I'm not going to spend any time there other than to say Dorcas 15 times. Um, if you need a name, if you're having a child soon and you're struggling... Dorcas is the way to go, right? Um, so I want to read this quote from a guy named Tony Morita, um, pastor, theologian. He, he says this about why these two miracles are in Acts chapter 9. And really, miracles in general. Why do we see miracles in the book of Acts? So let me read this quote. First, there's four reasons. First, they reinforce the authenticity of Peter's apostleship. In other words, he's the real deal. He's from God. Second, they demonstrate the power of Jesus, Peter's mission to the nations. And I would say our mission to, to the world is propelled by the resurrection power of Jesus. Third, these miracles provide signs of the coming kingdom of Jesus who will heal the sick and raise the dead. So these miracles are, are signs or pointers to the coming kingdom. Finally, the fourth thing, these miracles are not ends in themselves. In both stories, people turn to the Lord for salvation as a result of them. So when you see miracles performed, signs performed, it's never just to uh, make the sick well um, or just to make the dead alive. No, no, it's, it's to bring people to saving faith in Jesus. It's for people to see the power of God and go, oh, this God must be for real. He is worth investigating. And so these miracles take place because of these things. Okay, so as we jump into Acts 10, there's three kind of 
people or people groups that we're going to look at in this story. Uh, and so I'm, I'm giving you a name and then I'm giving you like a one word uh, descriptor of, of each one. So the first person we see in this, this narrative is a guy named Cornelius. And the word that I'm using for him is, is religious. He's religious. Now, we're going to read um, just the first couple of verses of, of Acts chapter 10. I do want to back up, if you've got a Bible on hand, we're just going to back up to the very last verse in chapter 9 because it kind of sets the context for where we're going in chapter 10. So Peter has, has healed um, and raised the dead. Chapter 9, very last verse, verse 43, it says, And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So we hear this guy named, uh, pointed out, his name is Simon. He's a tanner. And you're like, well, why did God include that little detail that he's like, oh, he works with leather? Why, why is that important that he is a, a tanner? So let me just kind of give you a little heads up. This is important because what this is telling us, because God's getting ready to confront Peter and his, his prejudices towards, towards Gentile people. And so what we see in this last verse is that Peter is staying in the home of a guy named Simon who is a tanner. Now, the reason that's important is because a tanner was unclean to Jewish people because they dealt with dead animals, because they were converting their, their skins into leather. And so dead animals, unclean animals, a Jewish person would have said, this person is unclean because he works with dead animals. And so the fact that, that, that Peter was staying with him means that God was already at work kind of shifting and changing his heart and his heart attitude towards other people. All right, so Cornelius, Let, let's read these first three verses. It says this in verse number one, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Uh, again, that's a, that's a great word if you're, name if you're coming up with a boy's name. Uh, Dorcas for girls, Cornelius for boys. You call him Corny for short. Um, Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So let me pause there. Um, so a few things that I just want to point out. Here's map number two, final map of, of the morning. Um, this place called Caesarea. Uh, so th this is, if you can see that on the map, um, it's kind of up north. Uh, Joppa down south is where, where Peter was, staying with, with Simon. And it says that in uh, Caesarea... Uh, was this guy named Cornelius. So Caesarea, why this is important is because this is, this is the capital of the Roman occupation uh, of, of, of Israel there. It's, 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 it's mainly uh, occupied by Gentiles. It was a military town on the coast. It was about 31 miles north of, of Joppa. Here, here's what you need to know. The Jews hated Caesarea. The Jews hated Caesarea because this is where the, the Roman kind of soldiers took up, um, you know, headquarters. Um, they were occupying Israel. They did not like Caesarea. This is important to know, all right? And so it says that there was a guy there, there named uh, Cornelius. It says that he was a centurion. So he was a captain in the Roman army. He probably commanded a, a group of soldiers of about 100. Uh, he was paid well for his service, and so he was influential, he was wealthy, he was probably disliked by the Jewish people, all right? So understand this context. This is who Cornelius was. Verse number two, 
Here it goes on to describe more about this guy. It says he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. And he gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. So he was devout. He feared God. This, he was what the Jews would call a God fear. All right. So what this means is he was a Gentile who loved the God of Israel he supported, uh, he supported Judaism, the, the religion of the Jews, but he, he, he stopped short of becoming a full-on Jewish convert, right? So he was not circumcised. He did not participate in the, like, the kosher diet, uh, the dietary restrictions of a Jew, but he respected uh, their religion. He worshiped or, you know, revered the God of Israel. And so Jewish people would have a respect for these God-fears, these Gentile God-fears, but they would hold them at arm's length, all right, because they weren't all in um, for their God and their religion. So he's called a God-fear. He's a very religious man. It says he was devout, He, him and his whole household. He was generous to the people. He prayed continually. So moving on, verse number three, it says this. It says, about the ninth hour of the day, which was about 3 p.m., he... Uh, saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. So he, here's what happens from this point on. He's, he's praying, an angel of the Lord comes to him, God's speaking to him. And what God does in this moment is he, he directs Cornelius to find Peter. This guy, Peter, who is in Joppa at this point, he says, I want you to go to him and find him because he's got a message for you. All right, and so I want to just like jump ahead to a verse in chapter 11, verse 14. This is Peter later recounting this story uh, to the Jews in, in, in Jerusalem. He says this, he kind of adds some more detail to this story. He says uh, in verse number, uh, where are we at? Verse 14, he says, uh, he, Peter, will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household." So Cornelius has this vision from God where God says, hey, Cornelius, I want you to go find this man named Peter. He's got a message for you. He's got a message to declare to you by which you and your entire household will be saved. So go find this guy. And Cornelius does so. He sends several of his men to find, uh, to find Peter. So Cornelius, he is religious. I would say he's a lot like a guy named Nicodemus. Y'all remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3? He is a Pharisee, a religious uh, Jew who, uh, who came to Jesus at night and it said he had questions. And Nicodemus is the one Jesus quoted John 3.16 to. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Um, he was a religious person. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? He, he didn't say, hey, your religion is, is good. You're, you're, you're on your way to heaven. Keep doing good and keep being a good dude. No, he said, you must be born again. He said, it's not enough for you to just be a religious man. You need to submit your life to Christ. And, and so Cornelius was a lot like Nicodemus. He was a good man. He was religious, but he was not regenerate. In other words, he, he had not been born again, dead, made, alive. 
And I just want to read you this quote from Tony Morita. He says this, the gospel isn't just for irreligious people, it's for religious people too. And I just want to say that this morning because on any given Sunday, it's easy to stroll into church. It's easy to do our regular Sunday thing, to come and be religious, to do good things, to be devout even, but yet never have had our hearts changed by Jesus. And so the gospel isn't just for people who aren't religious, it's for religious people as well. And so this is the place that we find Cornelius. All right, here, here's the second person, the second character we see in this story. It's Peter. And the word I want to use for Peter is prejudiced. Prejudiced. And that's a strong word for an apostle, but we see this come into play with, with Peter. And so what we see in, in, in this, this book, book, chapter 10 of Acts, is you know, chapter 9, we saw these complementary visions. Remember, uh, Saul had a vision, and there was another guy named Ananias. They had these visions that were complementary, that led them to one another. In chapter 10, we see these complementary visions from, um, from Peter and then Cornelius, that God brings these two men together. And so here we are in Acts chapter 10. We're going to start in verse number 9. It says, says this, uh, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, these are the men that Cornelius sent to find Peter, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. So t take note of this. He was hungry. He's so hungry that he falls into a trance. This sounds like probably some of y'all when you get hangry, you know what I'm talking about? You just like black out. You're like, what's going on? I'm so hungry. So Peter is hungry. He's in the middle of praying um, and, and he just falls into this trance. He, he sees a vision. He hears a voice. He hears what it says in verse number, uh, verse number 11. He, he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, uh, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And so this is just, seems like a bizarre vision, this, this like sheet coming down from heaven, and it's full of, of animals. And for whatever reason, this reminds me of my boys when they were younger, having like blankets full of toys and bed toys and things like, it's just this weird sheet from heaven with full of animals. And Peter's like, what is this all about? And this voice, which later on we see in the story is the Spirit of God, says, Peter, Rise, kill, and eat, all right? And so, so here's the response of, of Peter, verse 14. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, no way, God. Why would I do that? For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, and the voice said this, what God has made clean, do not call Common. So I want to pause here for a minute because this is so important. Because the Old Testament or this Jewish way of thinking, there was a distinction between what was what they would call holy and what was called common. All right, so something that was holy, they had to go through a purification process and, and it was called, it was consecration. But when something came in contact with something ordinary, something that was unholy, what they would call common, um, it was called desecration. 
All right, so there was this big distinction for them. There were unclean animals that were called common. And, and, and so, so when Jesus says, remember, it's like Leviticus 11, where there's all these dietary restrictions, don't touch or eat unclean animals. And here God is telling Peter, who, who is, he was responding based to his tradition and everything that he had ever learned and grown up with, like don't touch, don't eat unclean animals. And here is this voice that's saying, kill these animals and eat. And Peter, who's, who's not necessarily just being defiant here, like, no, God, I'm not. He's just, he's responding based upon what he knows. And he's saying, no, 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 I can't do that. I have never done that. I have never touched an unclean animal. And yet he says, here comes this voice a second time, and it says, what God has made clean, don't call common. Don't call it common. And what God is doing here, so a pretty cool thing. He's addressing like food and dietary restrictions. Uh, you know, if you're a Jew at this moment and go, okay, I can now be, uh, you know, I can now start eating meat. This is praise the Lord kind of day. At least that's what I'm saying. I'm not a vegetarian. Um, but so now you can, you have these restrictions are lifted, but God is speaking to way more than like dietary and food restrictions. He's talking about more than unclean animals. He's talking about what Peter would consider unclean people. He's talking about unclean Gentiles. He says, what I have, what I call clean, what I have cleansed, don't you call it common. Don't call it unholy or, or ordinary. And so this is a major, major moment in Peter's life. He's being confronted, tradition versus the, the, the Spirit of God, the voice of God speaking to him in this moment. Verse number 16, this happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Um, so here's the thing about Peter. Um, the, Peter's got history here, right? Where God has to say things to him, not once, not twice, but three times. I think he's saying it for emphasis because this is such an important moment. I think he's trying to get this to sink in deep into Peter's mind. But also, um, sometimes with Peter, um, things just aren't getting through the old noggin. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I have to repeat this over and over and over. And what this encourages me in is that Peter wasn't perfect. You know what I'm saying? Like, God had to repeat things to him. In the midst of all that we've seen Peter do and God has used Peter to do through nine chapters of Acts, he's having to repeat one, two, three times this, this whole scenario to, to Peter. And so we move into verse number 17. So here, here we go. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, he's still like confused about this. He's still pondering. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, all right, so this voice is the Spirit of God, and the Spirit says, Behold, three men are looking for you. That's a little trippy, isn't it? You wake up, and here's three men who are waiting for you. 
Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and he said, I am the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Verse 23, so he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So Peter goes to Caesarea, verse number 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Verse 30, and Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. All right, so here's what's going on here. Peter has this vision. He, he wakes up out of this trance. These three men sent from Cornelius are waiting at the door to, to come and, and get him. But, but here's what is going on. God in this passage, in this vision to Peter, here is, here is what God is saying to Peter. He's saying, Peter, get rid of your prejudice. Get rid of your prejudice. I know you think this people is unclean, but what I have cleansed, don't you call common. Don't you call unclean. He's saying the gospel is for everyone. Whether you like them or not, the gospel is for everyone. And what God is doing here is he is, he is in the process of breaking down walls, ethnic walls, social walls. He's breaking down walls, and Peter's heart is changing. And, and I don't know if, you, if, if you're catching this. I want to point out two like, very small phrases that we kind of pass over, but they reveal these actions that show that Peter is, is getting it. His heart is, is changing. If you go back to verse 23, so these men come to his, his doorstep. They're standing at the gate. If you saw that, they won't enter in. You know why they won't enter in? Because they're Gentiles. They know the protocol. We don't come in because we're, we're Gentiles and you're Jews. But look at what it says in verse number 23. So he what? invited them in to be his guests. Like, I just want to pause there for a second because this is such a big deal. Like, you don't come in. You don't enter into my house. You're unclean. You are dirty. 
but it says that Peter invited them in to be his guests. Here's a quote from Tony Morita again. He says, This hospitality offer may not seem like a big deal to us, but for Peter and the other Jewish Christians, it signaled a huge gospel moment. Peter and others are being converted out of the thinking that the good news is for the Jews alone. Like, listen, this is such a big moment. And I I get that it's hard for us to understand because we haven't grown up as Jews our whole life, rejecting or stiff-arming Gentiles. But for him to say, come on in, make yourself at home. You can be my guest, Mikasa Sukasa, right? My, My home is your home. Come in. This is a big moment. Verse number 27, let me point out one more phrase that shows that God is changing his heart. It says, as he talked with them, this is after Peter and the men go back to Caesarea. He has, has, has come to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius falls down and worships him. I love the humility of Peter where he's like, dude, get up. Don't worship me. I'm just a man like you are. And then this, it says this, verse number 27. And as he talked with him, here's three words. He went in and found many persons gathered. Again, to enter the house of a Gentile was strictly prohibited. This was a no-no for Jews. It was, it was prohibited by their customs, their traditions. And what this shows is that Peter's heart and his mind have changed. In fact, verse 28, here's what he goes on to say. You yourselves know how unlawful, like this is against the law, for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But here, here's the key phrase. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. God has has revealed to me, God is changing my heart that I would look at you differently now. And so this is what's going on. And so Peter asked this question of Cornelius. He said, so like, what's up? Why did you send for me? And the response of Cornelius, he says, hey, we've all gathered here because we want to hear what you have to say to us from the Lord. And so he's got this captive audience. He has all his friends and relatives gathered. Like, man, this is such a great setup for a sermon. You know what I'm saying? We've gathered everybody. We're here to, we're here to hear whatever it is that you have to say from the Lord. Let us have it. Perfect setup, perfect setup. So here is uh, this third group of people we see. We see Cornelius, we see Peter. This third person or people group are the Gentiles. And the word I wanna use is included, included. So let me read a few verses out of, of this passage here. Here's what it says in verse number 34. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So, by the way, he's not saying that, hey, if you just do the right thing, if you be a good person, he will accept you, he will love you. No, no. What he's saying here is, this isn't a salvation by works. It's saying he sees your heart. And anyone of any nation who would humble themselves before God, man, he will accept you. He will receive you. Verse number 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And and really, we're going to skip to a later passage here, but he begins to preach the gospel. 
He talks about Jesus. He talks about his death and his resurrection. He preaches this sermon that is really the same as the sermons that he preached to the Jews, but there's one difference. This one's shorter, all right? The the Jews, he had to walk through this whole history. Here he just gets straight to the point. He gets straight to the message of, of Jesus, and he preaches this gospel, this gospel that is the same for everyone. And he preaches this. We come down to verse number 42, and it says this. And he, Peter's still speaking here. He's wrapping up his, his sermon. He says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his Name. He's coming like to this climactic moment in his sermon where he's saying, hey, everyone who believes in Jesus can be saved. Anyone who believes in Jesus can be forgiven of their sins. And then look at verse number 44. It says this, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, like salvation comes mid-sermon. I just want to finish out through verse 48 here. It says this, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. So here's what is happening. In the middle of his sermon, he's literally saying, anyone who believes can receive forgiveness of their sins. And literally in that moment, they're hearing about the forgiveness of sins. They're hearing about believing in Jesus. And it says that in the midst of what he was saying, apparently they believe because what happens is the Holy Spirit, it says, falls on them in this moment. It's like if God were to so work that like in the middle of my sermon, like God started doing something and I just had to quit. And some of you are like, please God work and just make him shut up. No, I'm just kidding. But it's like literally in the middle of a sermon, he's like, okay, let me scrap the rest of this because, man, God is grabbing the hearts of people. In that moment, they believe and they receive the Holy Spirit. And it says they were all amazed at what's taking place because what did they see? They see, it says the Holy Spirit falls on them. You hear them speaking in tongues. There's only one other instance where we've seen this kind of activity. It's back in Acts chapter 2, what we called the day of Pentecost. So in this moment, this is what we would call the, the Gentile Pentecost. This is where the Holy Spirit falls, not on Jewish people, but on the Gentiles. And this is an incredible moment taking place here. What happens in this moment is that Peter opens the door to the kingdom of heaven, to the Gentiles. He's already opened the door to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. And now he's opening the door wide. He's swinging it open for the Gentiles. So I want to take you back for a second to when Jesus was talking to Peter. Matthew chapter 16, verses, what, 17 and and 18, uh, 18 and 19. You remember he asks Peter who he thinks he is. He says, you are the Christ. And, And 
Jesus says these words to Peter. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so he makes this declaration. The church is mine. I will build the church. Verse number 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What do you think that means? Like some, some would say, some religions or denominations might say, well, Peter was the one who gave access. He's the one at the pearly gates who says, okay, you can come in, you can't come in, right? That is kind of like the way sometimes this is portrayed. This is not what he was saying. What he's referring to is what we saw in Acts chapter 2 and what we see today in Acts chapter 10, that Peter is the one who opens the door to the kingdom of heaven, first to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, And now here in Acts chapter 10, he says, Gentiles, come on in. If you would believe, you are welcome to come in. You are recipients of the grace of God. And so we see here the spirit falls. They speak in tongues. These two signs authenticated. This is God's work just like Acts chapter 2 with the Jews. Tony Morita, again, I keep quoting from him from his commentary, he says this, the Spirit is opening a new chapter in the spread of salvation to the ends of the earth. The Gentiles, too, are children of Abraham, not through circumcision, but by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. The massive gulf between Jew and Gentile was suddenly bridged. Y'all, this is a new chapter in the history of the church where it's not it's no longer just Jew and Gentile it's the church of God which includes both Jews and Gentiles people of every race every ethnicity every nation can come together as one in Christ in what we call the church and so what we see here with Cornelius and his conversion and the conversion of these Gentiles is God opens the door wide for the gospel to go to everyone. This gospel that changes everything is available to everyone. And we're not going to go into it, but chapter 11, Peter goes back to Jerusalem. All the Jews are like criticizing him. They're giving him a hard time. It says the people of the circumcision party I think of like being a part of the Republican Party, the Democrat Party. I'm glad I'm not part of the circumcision party. You know, it's just a weird kind of designation. But the Jews are going, man, what's up with you? Why are you sitting down with Gentiles? And so Peter retells the whole story, which again, we won't read. But here's the conclusion of the matter. Chapter 11, verse 17. This is the conclusion of of Peter. He's explaining to them what God has done, and he says this, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Doesn't this sound like what we've already heard throughout the book of Acts? Like, who am I to oppose what God is doing? God is moving, and God is giving his grace to the Gentiles. Who am I to stand in the way? Because as Gamaliel said, I may, be even stand, I may even be found standing in opposition to God. And so how could I stand in the way of what God is doing? Here is the conclusion once they heard the whole story. Verse 18, when they heard the things, uh, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads 
to life. They're included now. They're no longer excluded from the body of Christ. They are welcomed and they're no longer on the outside looking in. They're part of the church. And this is so significant, y'all. If you begin to look at at the New Testament, you begin to read some of the things that Paul writes throughout the New Testament, you will see this repeated over and over and over and over. Let me just read two passages to you. Galatians 3, 28 and 29, it says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's, neither, uh, no, there's no male or female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. One other passage, Romans 10, 12 and 13, Paul says this, There is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of who? All, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Gentiles are included And so let me just wrap this up here. Like, how do we live in light of this? We've said that the gospel that changes everything is available to everyone. So let me just, let me say it this way. If we truly believe this, listen now. If we believe that gospel changes everything, and we believe, we truly believe that it is available to everyone, regardless of race, of status, of income level, education level, whether we like them or they like us or not, if we truly believe that the gospel that changes everything is available to everyone, we, as followers of Jesus, ought to be the most loving, hospitable, welcoming people on the planet. Amen? If we truly believe the gospel can change us from the inside out, can take somebody like Saul and convert them to a man named Paul, if we believe that God can take what was considered unclean, the Gentiles, and make them clean, that can bring them into the body of Christ, man, if we truly believe this, we ought to be the most loving, welcoming people on the planet. And I want to repeat one verse to close that I've been using a ton lately. Um, But you know what? We're kind of like Peter. Like, it kind of takes a while to get through the old noggin sometimes. Romans 15, 7 says this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Therefore, and the thunder comes. Did you all hear it? God is showing his approval. (laughs) Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. God. And so with that in mind, you know what, as the Spirit gives opportunity, let's continue welcoming and inviting people into the story of God. You know, we bang this gospel drum so often as does the, the, the Bible, the book of Acts. It's all constantly banging the truth of the gospel. We do that because we truly believe it changes everything. We believe it doesn't just change your eternity. It changes you from the inside out. And the deeper we go into the gospel, the more radically it transforms us from the inside out. Look at Peter. Look at Peter. Acts chapter 10. We have seen Peter do amazing things. God has used him in amazing ways. He has proclaimed the gospel. Thousands have come to faith in Christ. He is part of this incredible movement. And yet, 
And yet at this point in the story, God is still doing deep gospel work in the heart of Peter, one of the founding apostles of the church whose heart was still riddled with prejudice. And yet here is God still being gracious and still calling him to himself, still trying to impart the truth of the gospel deep into his soul. Because listen, y'all, until the day we reach heaven, gospel work is not done. Gospel work in us, conforming us to the image of Christ. Gospel work in us taking Christ to the world that so needs him. This is the power of the gospel. This is why we are week in and week out hammering the truth of the gospel. Even this, this past week uh, had one of our, our men who, uh, who everything by all accounts, everything looked like was going just fine in his life, financially, got a sweet family, all these things going right. And he confessed to me and a group of men some, some, deep, some deep sin that he needed to overcome. And he like broke down multiple times saying, gosh, I've been just trying to modify my behavior and do things differently and change up my habits. But but God has shown me that I need my heart to change. And it was so cool to sit with him in that moment and to see that it's because of the gospel, continuing to do this deep heart work in a man that would say, oh, I've been religious. I've been doing good things. I've been coming to church faithfully. I've been getting more involved and yet, Oh, my heart still needs to change. This is why we bang the drum of the gospel. This is why what we've seen in Acts 10 is so important because the gospel changes everything. And because of of this vision, this, this moment of Cornelius responding to God, Peter being obedient to the vision of God, Peter letting the gospel do its work in his heart, that the gospel got to us. And Jesus is going to continue to build his church, and we get to be a part of that. Amen. And so maybe you're here this morning, you've never responded to this offer to stop being religious and to let God change your heart. I want to invite you today to ask questions. We'd love to talk with you more about that. If you have questions, we'd love to point you to the Savior that we worship Wherever you're at today, let me encourage you to let the gospel do its work in you. Maybe there's some deep heart work he's needing to, he's needing to eradicate prejudice out of your heart. Maybe you, there's, there's people, individuals even that you would look at, look at and go, man, they don't deserve the kindness of God. Do we? We don't deserve it. And yet God has given it to us. And so let, let the gospel do its work in you this morning. God, thank you for the truth of the gospel that we've seen this morning. Thank you for the example of Cornelius and Peter who responded when your voice came to them. God, whatever work it is that you want to do in us, whatever it is that you want to root out of us, I pray that you would would do that, that we would allow you to do your work in us like Peter allowed you to do your work in him. Not just so we can be better people, but God, so that more people would see your goodness and your grace, that you are better. 
And so, Lord, would you continue to do your work in us and in this church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.